Welcome to the Law with DK Williams. Giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 65, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to discuss United States Supreme Court Associate Justice, Colorado's own Neil Gorsuch's book. It's called A Republic If You Can Keep It. I enjoyed it, and as we get into it, and if you want your own copy, there's an affiliate link in the notes that will take you directly to Amazon where you can buy it. Now, we'll go over some of the highlights of Gorsuch philosophy as he lays it out in this book and hit some bullet points of the book and hopefully give you a taste of some of what the book covers. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. You can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through any reputable podcast provider and at speakeasyideas.com. Follow this podcast on social media. It's a great way to interact. I'll try to tell you what's going on uh, in the world of constitutional law and things that might affect you. And you can contact me back on Twitter. It's at the law DKW and on Facebook.com slash the law with DK Williams. There's a page for it there. So I'd love to hear from you. If you're so inclined, you know the whole spiel, like, share, comment, rate, etc. It helps get the message out the more interactions there are with the posts. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting media appearances, teaching, all kinds of stuff. I'm available for a beer. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details on that. And likewise, contact Bethany if you'd like to contribute to our work here at The Law with DK Williams via a sponsorship. Now, speaking of speaking, I will be speaking at the Liberty on the Rocks Denver chapter, the original chapter, on Wednesday, February 5th, a couple of weeks at Chopper Sports Grill. It's near Cherry Creek Mall. Festivities get underway at 6 o'clock. People get together. It's a sports bar, and we've got our own private room, so it's a nice setup, and it's a lot of fun. You can mingle, have fun. Program starts at 7, and if you've never been to a Liberty on the Rocks before, come check it out. You'll have a good time. I hope to see you there. This book, A Republic, if you can keep it, by Neil Gorsuch. Now, he, he was appointed to the Supreme Court by Trump and assumed office in April of 2017. book came out in September of 2019, so a little over a year ago. The title, of course, I think most of you know, but it's a reference to what is what is probably an apocryphal story about what Benjamin Franklin said after the Constitution Convention and they had put together the Constitution. And the story goes, a lady asked Benjamin Franklin, what kind of government the Constitutional convention had given them and the legend goes he said a republic if you can keep it and now that is the title of Gorsuch's book now i recommend it it is a it is a, it's an easy read it's a relatively easy read especially compared to reading opinions that the justice is right and judge is right the book itself is largely composed of speeches given by Gorsuch excerpts of opinions he's written and essays the book is put together in chapter form it's easy to digest topics broken down into Sections on the Constitution, separation of powers, how to interpret the Constitution and statutes, how judges, some judges do it, how they do it wrong, and how he thinks they should do it. Talks about originalism and textualism, and originalism just is the idea that, very controversial idea, that words have meanings and that those meanings, they should actually be used. It's a very, very radical idea. And originalism applies to interpreting the Constitution Textualism is exactly the same thing, but it's only different. The only difference is it's applied to 
interpreting a statute, just any text. Gorsuch discusses the appointment process, how he went through it, what happened to him, his family history, his career, and one learns that, for example, his mother was the first female attorney in the Denver DA's office. So nice little tidbits like that. Tying back in with the Franklin quote and the name of the book, he says, Our republic needs citizens who know how their government works. That is such a simple statement, but it is so true. And he talks about how so many people don't understand how it works. And if you don't understand how it works, if you don't understand the framework and what the framework is supposed to achieve, you're subject to believing just about anything. If you don't understand it, you can't apply it properly. He writes, the book is not intended for academics. It's intended for citizens interested in introductory and personal reflections on our Constitution, its separation of powers, and some challenges we face in preserving and protecting our republic today. This separation of powers idea, the very essence of the federal government, is not just some kind of formality about it. It is crucial to how things are supposed to work. Gorsuch writes, when the executive or judiciary claims the power to write new legislation, or when the legislature or executive assumes the power to adjudicate cases, or when some other blurring of the lines occurs, liberty and the rule of law are placed at risk. Gorsuch says, when it comes to the business of judging, our separation of powers makes clear that a judge's task is not to pursue his own policy vision for the country. But today, the majority of activists completely disregard this concept. They don't care about the foundational structure of our country. They just want a particular policy outcome. And if the Constitution is an impediment to that outcome, they will trample it. They'll discard it. They'll do whatever they can to get around it. And this is exactly what happened in Wickard v. Filburn, FDR-era case. And we discussed that in Episode 5 of The Law. So go back and check that out if you, if you wish, if you haven't already. And that's the case where the U.S. Supreme Court said that congressional power to regulate commerce also includes the power to regulate things that aren't commerce or interstate. I'm not making, that's exactly what they said. So you can see how if we ignore what the Constitution says, there are no limits on the federal government. As I like to quote, and I have many times, Justice John Marshall Harlan II said, the Constitution is not a panacea for every blot upon the public welfare, nor should this court, the Supreme Court, be thought of as a general haven of reform movements. That was a dissent he wrote in Reynolds versus Sims, which we discussed in episode 34. So check that one out as well. Gorsuch doesn't quote Harlan, but I think that quote fits right in perfectly with his ideas of his book. Gorsuch writes, I, I came to realize that some today perceive a judge to be just like a politician who can and must promise and then deliver policy outcomes that favor certain groups. And he's right. That's what most people believe, or far too many people believe. He says a judge should apply the Constitution or a congressional statute as it is, not as he thinks it should be. And he's quoting Hamilton in the Federalist Papers in that part of it. He decries the number of laws we have on the books and asks, how is it that in our criminal justice system, the laws have grown so numerous that a prosecutor can often choose his defendant first and find the crime later? That is an excellent question. And it is a travesty that that is where we have come, where we have ended up. I was looking for a quote from this Stalin prosecutor from the Soviet era and found this from the Oxford Eagle. And it says, Lavrenti, Russian name, Lavrenti Beria, the most ruthless and longest serving secret police chief in Joseph Stalin's reign of terror in Russia and Eastern Europe, bragged that he could prove criminal conduct on anyone, 
even the innocent. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime, was Berea's infamous boast. Now, I don't want to disappoint anybody, and I said that was from the Oxford Eagle, and it is, but that's Oxford, Mississippi, not Oxford, England. Gorsuch discusses other topics like the need for civility, and he notes, well, he's calling for civility. At the same time, other people are calling for an end to civility. Europe in the 20th century had people, too, who, seeking to remake the social order in the vision of their ideology, thought the stakes of the day were too high to tolerate discourse and dissent. They also believed the ends justified the means, and it didn't end too well. Of course, he's making a reference to communism, fascism, and he's right. He's absolutely right. We have to have a structure for how government is going to work. And if we disregard that structure just to achieve an end, we see what the results usually are. When people are so intent on believing they are morally right, if some people have to be discarded in the way of achieving their moral righteousness, they will be. People will be discarded. When the idea of the collective and making the world or the country a little bit closer to utopia, if there are dissenters in the way and there's no framework for protecting those dissenters from protecting the minority who don't agree with this vision, then those people with that vision, once they get the power, will dispose of the people in their way. It's what happened in Europe. It's what happened in Russia. It's what happened in China. It's what happened in so many numerous places when people think that I know how to make the world a better place and these legal restrictions keeping me from it have to be disposed of. And he's writing how the Constitution protects us all from that result. And when we discard the Constitution in favor of achieving an ends, we, like the rest of the world, as history has shown, are in literal danger. If I have one quibble in the book, Gorsuch does use the phrase constitutional rights on occasion. I wish he wouldn't use that formulation. As we've talked about, that we have rights that are protected by the Constitution. The Constitution does not grant those rights. They don't grant any rights. Like I like to point out, the Bill of Rights is more properly called a Bill of Restrictions because it doesn't grant anybody rights. It restricts the government. Now, he knows this. He's just using the shorthand of constitutional rights because that's how people refer to them. I wish he wouldn't, but he does use the correct formulation as well. For example, saying the First Amendment protects your freedom of speech. Exactly. It doesn't grant you the freedom of speech. It keeps the government from infringing upon it. At least that's the idea. Gorsuch also cites uh, some statistics and says, many do not know why the founders established this separation of powers or how it protects their liberties. He's right. And that goes back to if you don't know why they did it, you won't know how to apply it. And you'll ignore the very reasons that, that this framework was adopted. The book does a, a good job of explaining why the separation of powers exists and how it protects their liberties for those that care to know about it. Unfortunately, it seems that our most activists, most loud people, just want their way. They just want their policy implemented and they believe the end justifies the means. If the Constitution's in their way, they want to get, get around it, trample it, dispose of it, excise that portion of it. He goes on, he says, I just don't know how a government of and by the people can be sustained if we do not understand its basic structures. Amen, Brother Gorsuch. He goes on, what powers we have granted the government and which ones we have reserved and who does and doesn't possess the constitutional authority to make new laws to govern us, to execute those laws, and to judge us under them. Hopefully some people will get that, get that message. He asks, what happens to democratic accountability, 
civic responsibility, and so much more when we lose sight of those things and the reasons for them. Well, what happens, I'd submit that maybe we get the United States of America in 2020, where the limited government, as intended, the limited federal government has become unlimited in its scope. It's seeped its way into every nook and crevice of our lives and our bodies. We get activists successfully using the Supreme Court as a panacea for all of society's ills. At least they attempt to, in contradiction to Justice Harlan II's admonition. So many people say, and you see it today, I mean, the Supreme Court is in session now. And people are basically saying, these people are smart enough not to say this directly, but this is their underlying message. Screw the Constitution. We have a moral responsibility on our side. We are indignant. And if the Constitution stops us from implementing our version of what the world, the country, should be like, then the Constitution should be ignored. That's, that argument has been made since even before FDR, and it has really picked up steam. And Gorsuch does a good job here of showing the result of that, and it is not positive. And listen to what the presidential candidates are saying right now. They're saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I don't need Congress. I'm going to decree such and such a policy. That's what all tyrants say. And it should frighten us. And we should understand why a particular nominee for president can't just make a decree and ban all new houses because they don't want any houses unless they are carbon neutral. And I'll refrain from making any comment about how absurd that is. Well, I guess I just did. Even if you think that's a great idea. The president cannot just decree it. Congress must be involved if Congress has constitutional authority to get involved. But these decrees, these wannabe dictators that are running for president and have been president, is frightening. And even if you agree with what they are trying to do, we should have respect for the process. Because if you agree with President X and his abuse of power, well, there's going to be President Y, who you might not agree with, who will have the same power to abuse. Gorsuch goes on, discusses how if a judge correctly applies a stupid statute that was passed by Congress, people usually blame the judge, but the judge is doing his job. The blame should go on the legislature for passing the stupid statute and on the president or at a state level, the governor for signing the bill. Gorsuch discusses how if a judge makes a ruling that, for example, favors a criminal defendant, people will say, oh, he's soft on crime. Or if he makes a ruling in favor of a corporation, oh, that guy's in the pocket of big business. That's not how it works. One can legitimately criticize a judge for getting the law wrong or say, this is why I think he got it wrong, but judges should not be criticized for arriving at a public policy that a person disagrees with. That's what you should criticize the legislature for, not the judge if he's accurately applying the law and you get a result you don't like. That's not the judge's fault. The fact that the result is not what you like is not his fault. Justice Gorsuch goes on. He, he lists examples of how regulatory agencies combine all three branches of government and how, quote, an agency had apparently written so many new legally binding rules that even it had lost track of all the changes. And there's a very real example. He talks about a real case where that incompetence hurts actual people. He talks about how the legislature has delegated its authority to the executive in these administrative agencies and how easy lawmaking has become. Now, their regulations, that's the euphemism for what administrative agencies do. Regulations are laws. They have the force of law. Though it's so easy, no one in the agency itself can keep up with the laws they churn out. So how can an individual do it? They can't. 
If the people making the laws can't keep up with them, how is everybody else supposed to keep up with them? It's impossible. And he talks about how it's supposed to be hard to pass laws at the federal level, according to the Constitution, because you've got right now 100 senators. You've got 435 representatives. So not only do 100 senators have to agree on the language of something and pass it, well, a majority of them, then the majority of the House of Representatives has to agree on that exact same language. That's hard. It's supposed to be hard. And then not only that, then they have to present it to the president and he has to sign it or otherwise let it go into effect. So it's supposed to be hard. And when the legislature abdicates that responsibility, I mean, they delegate it to some other agency, it becomes too easy. They're bypassing the very breaks that the Constitution has implemented and we get horrible results because of that. Gorsuch's book goes over some of those results. He quotes James Madison, It will be of little avail to the people if the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read or so incoherent that they cannot be understood. When the separation of powers goes ignored, Gorsuch writes, those who suffer first may be the unpopular and least among us. And he goes over examples of some of the instances of that. So while the unpopular and least among us might be hurt, they are not likely to be the last people to be hurt. Eventually, it will get to you. He highlights how the differences between legislators and judges is kind of important. He writes, legislators may appeal to their own moral convictions and to claims about social utility to reshape the law as they think it should be in the future. But judges should do none of these things. Judges should instead strive to apply the law as it is, looking to text, structure, and history, not to their own moral convictions or the policy consequences they believe might serve society best. And he's absolutely right. Now, there are competing thoughts on this. Gorsuch men- mentions them. He goes over them. In particular, he mentions Richard Posner. He's a, or he was, he recently retired, a famous federal circuit court judge. I guess he retired in 17, but he was on there from 1981 to 2017, 36 years on the Federal Court of Appeals. That's a long time. He's written a lot, teaches a lot. He's got a following. But get this, Posner wrote this, and Gorsuch discusses this. Posner says, American appellate courts are councils of wise elders. I'm aghast. He goes on, and it is not completely insane to entrust them, these wise elders, with responsibility for deciding cases in a way that will produce the best results for society. To me, that's insane. He says it's not completely insane. Judge, it is completely insane. And while Gorsuch puts it less rudely than I do, Gorsuch explains why Posner has a really bad idea and the attractiveness of it, the allure of it. That allure comes at a substantial cost. Another portion of the book, he talks about how in 2016, federal departments, agencies, and commissions issued 3,000 853 rules, while Congress passed and the president signed just, in air quotes, 214 bills. So that's just an example of how hard it is to pass a bill, relatively speaking, 214 bills in one year, while the administrative agencies issued 3,853 rules. It's not supposed to be that easy. Those 3,850 rules bypassed debate in the House, bypassed debate in the Senate, avoided the president's signature, and that's a problem. It's an in run around the Constitution, and I know the New York Times and others are aghast at the idea that that's not appropriate. Well, sorry, it's not appropriate, and it has a horrible cost and result. 
Of course, it's right. It's at the end of 2012. The number of pages in the Code of Federal Regulations exceeded the number of pages in the U.S. Code, which is the actual statutes, by a factor of nearly four. The Code of Federal Regulations topped out at over 160,000 pages. Again, all 160,000 pages of that bypassed the deliberately difficult process of congressional lawmaking. Many of these administratively created regulations, again, just a euphemism for laws, carry criminal penalties. He cites uh, Crime A Day, this organization, and Crime A Day has a great Twitter account. Follow them if you wish. It's at Crime A Day. I will frequently retweet some of their stuff and put it on Facebook. But Crime A Day discovered laws and regulations that say if you sell ketchup that the federal government considers too runny without properly labeling it, you may have committed the federal crime of selling misbranded food punishable by up to a year in prison for each violation. Let that sink in. A year in prison because your ketchup is runnier than the label says. But Dave, I hear that would never happen. Eh, Maybe not. But that we have let government grow to a place where it has that authority is frightening. It will be too late to argue about the existence of that law once they start enforcing it. Once they use that authority, it's going to be too late. So to excuse it because they're not using it defeats the point or misses the point, defeats the purpose of what is supposed to be restrictions on what the federal government can do. Neil Gorsuch doesn't use the phrase, at least I don't didn't notice it, the phrase public choice policy, but he does discuss the concepts behind public choice policy. When he notes, it's rational for legislators to divest themselves of responsibility and hand off today's hot potato to an agency. They can tell their constituents that they solve the problem by adopting legislation, directing the agency to fix it. And at the same time, they can blame the agency later if their constituents don't like its chosen solution. And we allow them to do this. We, as an electorate, reward them for it. So it works. And that's basically public choice theory. People are going to act, even legislators and government officials, going to act in their self-interest. An article from the Library of Economics and Liberty discusses the concept of public choice theory and the idea here behind Gorsuch's comments. Although people acting in the political marketplace have some concern for others, like we all do, their main motive Whether they are voters, politicians, lobbyists, or bureaucrats is self-interest. In James Buchanan's words, he's an early economist who wrote about public choice theory. In his words, the theory replaces romantic and illusory notions about the workings of governments with notions that embody more skepticism. And you see this all the time when people say, all these evil corporations are going to exploit us. So therefore, the government has to take care of us. That is a romantic and illusory notion. People in the government are just like the people in business, except they usually have fewer accomplishments and talent. So the same thing that motivates business people, self-interest, motivates government. Except the people in business, of course, can only make money if they're providing something that people want. People in government have no such concern. The legislative branch, Gorsuch points out, is supposed to react to political pressure. That's why they exist. The House even more so than the Senate. Because in the House, people get elected every two years. Man, they, they have to stay on the pulse of what, what the electorate wants. The Senate, not so much, because they only get elected every six years. They were a little more insulated from public opinion, but they still had to be responsive to it at, to some degree. And the president the same way. Every four years, they're elected. So I think the two, four, and six-year terms were done deliberately. Executive legislators react to political pressure. The federal judiciary is not supposed to do that. 
That's why they have lifetime appointments. They don't need to rely on popular opinion or donors for their position. That's the point. People complaining about the judiciary having a lifetime tenure, that that's out of step with popular opinion, that judges are out of step with popular opinion. And I've seen that recently, like surveys show the majority of people favor Roe versus Wade, and maybe the justices are going to overturn it. And that's horrible, right? That's the argument I've seen. The people complaining about that are missing the point. And Gorsuch is attempting to explain that point. And he does. Now we need people to care about it. And that's why we do this podcast and why he's written this book. It's, this is our tiny little effort in this massive worldwide scheme, of which Gorsuch is a huge part. And here we're just a little tiny part, but we all do what we can. Uh, remember, if you want to support that effort here at The Law, sponsorships are available. Contact Bethany at Speakeasy Ideas. Uh, it would make a tremendous difference for us here at The Law. And the separation from political opinion and support is absent in administrative proceedings. Administrative law judges represent the antithesis of what our separation of powers is designed to do, which is protect people from political whims. The Supreme Court has been complicit as well, and Gorsuch points this out, with the Chevron Doctrine, which says federal courts have to defer to administrative agencies in their interpretation of their statutes. And we talk about the Chevron Doctrine in episode 27 of the law. There's also the Auer Doctrine, which is A-U-E-R, and Brand X Doctrine, which expand on this. The Supreme Court has abdicated its constitutional duties and given them over to these administrative agencies. Gorsuch does not and can't declare his opposition to these doctrines. Well, he can't say he's going to overrule them. He does express his opposition to these doctrines, but it's clear he disfavors them. So look forward to hopefully having some of that administrative power reined in. So legislative branch abdicates its responsibility, gives it over to administrative agencies, and the judiciary does it as well by deferring to these agency interpretations of regulations that the administrative agencies have no legitimate constitutional power to create in the first place because the legislature abdicated its duty to them. So these agencies also execute these regulatory schemes. And one can see how the federal government in this administrative state has created it's like a massive Terry Gilliam Brazil-like monstrosity with no constitutional checks. Brazil is a movie directed by Terry Gilliam. It's very good if you haven't seen it. Administrative agencies create law, execute it, and adjudicate it. We know obscenity when we see it, and this is obscene. That's, of course, reference to Potter Stewart's comment in the Supreme Court case Jacob Bellis versus Ohio, which we discussed in episode 33 here at The Law. So the creation of federal law is supposed to be hard. Gorsuch makes that point again and again, and he should. These administrative agencies bypass all of these requirements of passing laws via the bicameral process, presentment to the president. They have their judicial opinions deferred to, rubber-stamped by the judicial branch largely. So it's an entirely unaccountable entity, not subject to vote, and it is massive. Then on the topic of juries... He contrasts juries with life-tenured judges because juries come in, do their job, and they're done. Life-tenured judges are there for life as long as they want to be. He writes, in this way, judiciary might be said to be the simultaneously least and the most democratic of the branches. Federal judges, completely undemocratic. Federal juries, all juries, completely democratic. Indeed, he says, they answer to no one. So, And while he doesn't use the word nullification, he's getting close to discussing it. Since juries answer to no one, as he specifically says, they can do whatever they want in the jury room. If someone is guilty of violating an unjust law, the jury can and should acquit. That's me, not him, but I think he's walking right up to that line. Judges will not tell you this, but it's true. 
Judges and lawyers will tell you that you must do what the judge instructs you to do, but that's not right. You can do whatever you want as a juror once you are in that jury room and there's nothing anyone can do about your vote. Administrative agencies have no juries. Gorsuch writes, as long ago as 1933, the American Bar Association created a special commission on administrative law. This is in 33. Soon the committee voiced concerns that the cascade of new agencies was commingling executive, legislative, and judicial function in ways that could prove problematic. They were right. This is in 33. This is when it was really kicking up during FDR's expansion of the federal government with the Supreme Court's stamp. Of course, it goes on by transferring more and more power from the legislature and judiciary to the executive in these administrative agencies. We alter piece by piece the framers' work and risk the underlying values it was designed to serve. He's right. But, of course, I have to say this. Let's get in before someone cries out, Dave, those underlying values were slavery and racism. You hear that all the time. New York Times has dedicated an entire series on that. The essence of what that argument boils down to. Slavery existed, yes, at the time the country was founded. That does not mean that everything that happened while slavery existed was to perpetuate slavery and racism. It's an absurd reductionism, and that's what the New York Times has been preaching in its recent series of 1619 Project. Now, Thomas Cranerwitter, the head guy behind Speakeasy Ideas, does a great job in refuting that nonsense in his writings, and he's got a current speaking series called Tragedy and Triumph, where he talks about slavery, racism, and the Constitution. So you have to separate truth with a capital T from the examples of failed human beings. So go to the website speakeasyideas.com for more on Cranowitter's series. Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be at the Soil Dove in Denver. Great setup for such a presentation. Back to Gorsuch. He writes, the fact is Chevron and Brand X, these are Supreme Court cases that say we should defer to what these federal agencies say. Those cases permit executive bureaucracies to swallow huge amounts of core judicial and legislative power and concentrate federal power in a way that seems more than a little difficult to square with the constitution of the framers. Indeed, he makes the metaphor of a Jenga tower, that game with the blocks, the sticks. Taking out one block might not make the tower fall, but every block removed is a step closer to collapse. And I submit the constitutional framework has collapsed. The federal government of supposedly limited powers has unlimited power now. The separation of powers has been fused into one massively intrusive bureaucracy. Gorsuch goes on, he quotes Justice Felix Frankfurter, who said, The accretion of dangerous power does not come in a day. It does come, however slowly, from the generative force of unchecked disregard of the restrictions imposed by the Constitution. And that's what we have now. Unchecked disregard of the restrictions imposed by the Constitution. Gorsuch mentions another example of the obscene state of affairs. He says, or notes that, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services estimates that it issues literally thousands of new or revised guidance documents, not pages, documents, every single year. Providers have to comply with them or risk sanction, including criminal sanction, for getting something wrong. And that's impossible. It's absurd. If someone wants to use the power of the government to shut somebody down, they can, like in Soviet Russia. Gorsuch uses a Tenth Circuit case, U.S. versus Nichols, in which he descended as another example. He says, criminal defendants have never been much liked, but what would you think of a government that allows its chief prosecutor to write the crimes he gets to prosecute? 
which is an assessment. So we have. He gets to goes to this larger idea of the number of criminal laws, as explored in a book called Three Felonies a Day by Harvey Silvergate, where prosecutors can pick and choose crimes to enforce against literally anyone. He goes on, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution provides that all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, period. Abdication of responsibility, Gorsuch writes, is not part of the constitutional design. In Chapter 3, it's called The Judge's Tools. He discusses originalism, textualism, and the competing theories like Posner's mentioned earlier. I love that he criticized the concept of legislative history as useful in determining what a statute means, and I've mocked that concept throughout these podcasts and for the same reasons he does in this chapter, although, again, he's more polite about it. The federal statutes passed by 535 people deliberating. Legislative history is taking one statement from one of those people as some important evidence as to what the entire body meant, and that doesn't work. He's got some good examples of that and illustrations about how that is a bad idea. And he repeats the theme that he's mentioned earlier. He says, I came to realize that when judges abandon the original meaning of a law to pursue some other goal they find worthy, they risk exercising political will rather than legal judgment. Which, of course, as we talk about all the time here in this podcast, that's what many people want them to do. They want the Supreme Court to be that panacea for all social ills if they fail to solve those perceived ills via the legislative process. They say, we can't achieve policy goal X in the legislature. Let's see what luck we might have in the judiciary. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Gorsuch goes on. He writes, many living constitutionalists like Posner would prefer to have philosopher king judges swoop down from their marble palace to ordain answers rather than allow the people and their representatives to discuss, debate, and resolve them. You could even say the real complaint here is with our democracy because they want to bypass it. And again, yes, you and I know we don't live in a democracy. He's referring to the democratic process built into our constitutional republic. I love it when someone accomplished and successful, like Gorsuch, agrees with me. And I've been making this point for years. He says, when the constitution was ratified, he, the word he, served as a standard pronoun of indefinite gender. It covered women, too. I would only add that it still does. Writing or saying he slash she is clunky, inelegant, and unnecessary. He mentions Posner again in the chapter on originalism and textualism. He says, Posner has explained that he tries to improve things within certain bounds to figure out what is a sensible solution to this problem, whatever it might be, without worrying about doctrine, precedent, and all that stuff, and then he adopts it. So if you don't like textualism, what are you left with? Little princes using their judgment for you. Little princes who are not subject to election and have no accountability. And that's exactly what judges are not supposed to do. And if they're going to make policy decisions, they should not have life tenure. And in the federal system, they do have life tenure because they aren't supposed to make policy decisions. They aren't supposed to be affected by political whim, popular sentiment. Gorsuch has a chapter addressed to law students and lawyers on courage, although it applies to anyone. He mentions two young Justice Department lawyers during World War II when the progressive icon, FDR, ordered all Americans of Japanese descent interned. The government used bogus stats on the danger Japanese Americans presented in the war effort, and these two young attorneys knew the stats were uh, questionable. They alerted their superiors. They said this is wrong for the U.S. government to rely on this blatantly incorrect information in an effort to put citizens in jail. Nothing changed, even though they alerted their superiors. But 
Gorsuch points out, they had the courage to do the right thing, even if they knew it wasn't going to make a difference at the risk of their careers. They did the right thing. Now, Supreme Court upheld the internment in the Korematsu case, which we discussed in episode 51. We cover a lot of good stuff. He makes the point that, Gorsuch makes the point that it takes courage to apply the law as written and not to succumb to this political pressure to achieve a desired outcome. It seems to me, he writes, that the courageous judge recognizes that the Constitution doesn't afford him life tenure, so he can invent new laws for which today's passing majority may be clamoring. Instead, he recognizes that his tenure exists for a more timeless purpose, to uphold and defend the Constitution as adopted, and to go no further. All right, wrapping up here. Gorsuch mentions Posner again in this context and quotes him as writing, Posner writing, American appellate courts are councils of wise elders, like we mentioned. Now, I'm going to give you a look behind the curtain here at The Law with D.K. Williams. My process of reading decisions and books and articles, I highlight, I mark them up, I write notes all over the documents. And when I came back to this Posner quote about American appellate court judges are councils of wise elders, I highlighted that and wrote one word in the margin, barf. That's the type of sophisticated analysis I strive to provide. So I hope that gives you a taste of Gorsuch's book, A Republic, if you can keep it. I encourage people to check it out. It's not written for lawyers. It's written for people who are smart enough to not become lawyers. It's got an important message that I hope this podcast, generally speaking, shares. If you care to buy the book, feel free to use the affiliate link in our notes to this podcast. It will take you to the Amazon page where you can make the purchase. Thank you again for listening. It's a lot of fun to read and discuss it with you. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law Episode 65. We discussed Colorado's own Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court, Neil Gorsuch's book, A Republic If You Can Keep It. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. Follow me on social media. It's Twitter at TheLawDKW, Facebook.com slash TheLawWithDKWilliams. Communicate with me there. Let me know what you think. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details and for sponsorship opportunities. If you're in the Denver metro area, come out and see me in a few weeks at Liberty in the Rocks. I'll be speaking on how the federal government has usurped almost all of its power and its authority. It exercises over you and what, if anything, we can do about it. Check Twitter and the Facebook page for details, but it's going to be Wednesday. February 5th at Chopper Sports Grill. People start gathering about 6, program starts at 7. Very informal. I encourage interaction with the crowd. And it's always a lot of fun. I hope to see you there. And until next week, freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously. Dangerous.